0: Hey everyone, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and uh, here we are with another Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Before I get into uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today, I just wanted to let you know that uh, there, you can also access the podcast throughfaithtestedbyfire.com. com, and uh, going for, forward probably I'll be putting articles on there that actually won't have anything to do with a particular podcast episode. They'll just be uh, thoughts uh, shared in article form uh, most likely as the uh, summer goes on. And uh, of course I'll continue with the podcast also. I know some people would rather listen than read. other people like to read. Um, so I'm going to do, a mixture, Lord willing, of both. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about um, praying and and how it changes you. Now when I, uh, I remember my earlier days as a believer watching the people around me uh, pray and how they prayed. They were very fervent people. Um, A lot of them were uh, much older than I was at the time, old enough to be my parents. Um, and as I listened to them, um, I often got the feeling that effective prayer and emotional prayer were one and the same. Uh, what I discovered, though, over time was that I'm not really an emotional person. So my range is, is fairly narrow, whereas some people, Are more emotional and they have a greater emotional range than I do. Um, For example, you know, there's some people that um, when they experience something, let's say you go somewhere and you see something that's um, considered to be magnificent. Let's say you look at the Grand Canyon for the first time or you just see something that that strikes you. Um, A very emotional person can sometimes just break down and cry looking at it. Uh, tears of joy even, or just get so excited that they're jumping up and down. I often envied that because I thought, well, I don't feel that same type of of excitement. I wish that I could. Of course, on the negative side, when things go wrong, oftentimes the valleys that they go into are quite deep. So I've found that, and I I suppose it's part of being a a man that... um, I don't really feel the negative is, is, as deeply, uh, but I don't feel the positive as deeply either. The point is we're all different, and I'm watching these people pray, and I'm thinking that I must be doing it wrong. There are certain people that I saw praying in public, and I mean, the look on their face was almost like heaven itself was just exploding on the inside of them with uh, all types of incredibly good feelings, and um, and again, I didn't have that. So it's been many years since my exposure to that, and what I've come to see over time is that oftentimes when we, we pray, we do it with some kind of an effort, like we're trying to <clears throat> will God to hear us or, or will God's power to come into uh, manifestation for somebody we love or for a situation that we're facing Sometimes you feel really good about it after you prayed and sometimes you don't feel anything and sometimes you feel the exact opposite of what you thought you would. And so the thing is we can't trust God by feelings or emotions. For example, um, James and John and Peter were with Jesus when he went up to the mount and God's voice spoke. Jesus was transfigured and they saw uh, Moses and Elijah standing there talking with him. It's just an incredible experience. And they heard God speak. But yet, in the New Testament, they compare that experience to the written word of God. And and it's said in this way, it says, we have a more sure word than they did, even hearing that from the mountaintop, being there with Jesus. They have a more sure word. And the thing is, is that we are called on to fight the good fight of faith. Faith is not seen. It's not felt. Now you may have feelings that go along and confirm your faith, but we don't walk by feelings. Because if we walk by feelings, then most of the time, I'm just speaking for myself here, uh, most of the time that things wouldn't be going well if I went by my feelings. If I look at how I feel about a situation oftentimes my feelings are based on what I see and what I uh, feel happening around me. If, you know, I go outside and things aren't well, then I don't feel well. (laughs) So I pray and I trust God. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God, which means you have to believe that God is for you when it appears that he's not even there. You have to believe that God is taking care of you when all the outward evidence would be pointing to the contrary. You have to believe that God has forgiven you, even though you don't feel forgiven and you don't feel like God is near you. We have a more sure word that says that he will never leave us or forsake us. We have a more sure word that says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Um, So, when you go by feelings, it's very subtle sometimes. And you have to remember that the Bible says that Satan moves. Satan, when I'm talking about Satan, I'm talking about Satan himself, devils, demons, evil spirits. They move in, in the realm of the supernatural, just like God does. They are also spiritual beings. And their presence brings certain feelings along with it, just like God's presence does. Now, when I say God's presence, although God doesn't always um, give us feelings of his presence. He's always there. How do we know that? Not because we feel like he's there, but because the Bible says he's there. So you can see why the devil tries so hard to discredit the Bible or put question marks on, is this really God speaking to us? Because if he can do that, then he can get us out of a place where we have the more sure word. He can get us out of the place where we have a foundation that our faith can rest upon, And he can get us out of the place where we're walking by faith instead of walking by sight. Even the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus. So obviously, even he realizes that that word was there from the foundations of the earth. Because he was with God originally, and he knew Jesus before Jesus even came in the flesh. And so all of the debates and things like that had their origin in that kingdom of darkness, wanting to bring questions, wanting people to question their faith. And there are times that we do question our faith, being human, a human being, meaning that, is this really true? Or is this really true in my situation? So uh, let's go on from there. I want to read um, to you Romans chapter, in Romans chapter 10, I've heard people say things before, like, you know, you just need to pray the power down. And I know what they mean by that. They're they're basically saying we have to pray until God manifests himself or until the situation changes. And with that mindset, it almost feels like you're lifting weights. Do you know what I mean by that? Prayer becomes like lifting weights. In other words, you keep on doing it and you just find it exhausting. And you look around, you don't see any results from your prayer. So maybe you pray harder. But here's the thing. If God isn't moving because you're not doing it right, or if God isn't responding because you're not um, giving a strong enough effort, think about that in the context of of these following scriptures. It says that in Romans chapter um, 10, verse number one, it says, brethren, let me get to the, um, I think I'm in the American Standard Version. Let's go to the American King James Version. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God to God is for Israel, that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So there's a lot of people today like that, believers. They have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. Verse number three, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So I've heard people say things like this, I've literally heard this. The reason why God doesn't bless you is because you still smoke cigarettes or because you still drink alcohol or because you still do this or that. That's the reason why you're not being blessed. Let me rephrase that. Look at that in the light of Romans 10:3. It says for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So smoking or not smoking cigarettes doesn't make you righteous right? Drinking or not drinking alcohol, whether we're talking about a glass of wine or a beer or a six-pack, it doesn't make you righteous or unrighteous in God's sight. Romans 4, the fourth verse 10, chapter 10, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law, the end of the law, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does these things shall live by them, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this why. So there's two types of righteousness. One is based on works and one is based on faith. Say not in your heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. So the righteousness of faith isn't based on praying the power down from above or praying it up from beneath. In other words, It's not your effort. Don't say in your heart. Now, this is just talking about righteousness here, but we can apply this to healing, deliverance, prosperity, anything that God promised. Remember what Peter said? There's been given to us exceeding great precious promises of God, that through these you can escape the corruption that is in the world. Corruption is the decay uh, that's outward and the decay that's inward But what saith it, verse number eight, the word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we preach. So that's what these people preached in the early church. They they preached believing with the heart and saying with the mouth. They didn't just preach believing alone. They preached believing and they preached speaking. This kind of goes along with Revelation 12, 11, which says, and they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This goes along with Proverbs eighteen twenty four, which says death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. So it says in Romans 10 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you shall be saved. That same word there is also translated healed and delivered. Did you know that? <clears throat> you don't even have to take my word for it. You can get a strong concordance, or you can use a Bible concordance, and you can look up that word. And it is the Greek word which means, which says it's sozo, and it means to save, to deliver, to protect, literally or figuratively, heal, preserve, save, to do well, and to make whole. So now that scripture agrees. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let the truth be established. That agrees with other scriptures that we have. For example, with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Um, And again, that word is also translated healing. Jesus said to the people that lowered the man down through the ceiling tiles when he was preaching in the home to a multitude of people. He said, whether whether is it easier to say, son, your sins be forgiven you or rise up, take your bed and walk. And in the book of James, where it says the prayer of faith shall save the sick, number one, shall save the sick. And if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. So there's one salvation that covers all of human experience, not just spiritual, but physical in the physical world. Look those verses up for yourself <clears throat> Don't just believe them because I said them, or because it sounds good. Believe it because you see it for yourself in the Bible. So, verse uh, 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich unto all, not most, but all that call on him. Rich, meaning having an abundant supply of whatever you're lacking. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, think about this. There's people sick, and there's people depressed. There's people struggling with money all over the world. Right now, I'm just focusing on Um, the English-speaking world, but it's even worse in certain non-English-speaking countries. In the Middle East, in Africa, there are sections there that just have incredible amounts of of poverty. And so when we pray, it's not a matter of us trying to get God to do something that he doesn't want to do. God wants to help the person you're praying for more than you want to see them helped. I don't care who you love most in the world today, God loves them more than you do. He loves them with a, a special kind of love. Nothing can separate that person from the love of God. But yet, there's people that are cast out of the presence of God because they won't accept the free gift that God offers. They won't accept the way of salvation. They reject the name of Jesus. Now, you think how heartbroken you are for people that reject the truth. Think about what it must be if you were a being of perfect love not selfish love. You know, sometimes we sorrow for loss because it's our loss. You know, there's people that we know that they've gone on, I'm talking about even believers now, <clears throat> who go on to be with the Lord. And we have great sorrow because they were in what we consider to be a very important part of our life here in this world. And them not being around anymore, we're sorry for ourselves. And that's, what our sorrow is based upon mainly. But God's, it's so it's selfish. And I don't say that in, in a negative connotation. I'm just saying it for what it is. We're people and we place greater value on certain individuals than others because we're not, we, we live in a body right now. When we're in the heavenly world, we'll love like God loves without uh, any impediment to it. So it pains God more than it pains us when they're suffering in this world. But God set up this system so that through prayer, through the foolishness of praying, through the foolishness of faith, that the supernatural realm comes into this realm. Do you understand what I'm saying? When Jesus went to his own hometown, it says he could perform no mighty work there because of their unbelief. And that's the reason why they didn't see many great miracles because they just looked at him and they said, this can't be from God. We remember him when he was just a boy. Obviously he didn't come from heaven. And, and so their belief cut them off from God's best. Every day, doubts, fears, unbelief cut people off from God. But now we're in a position here where we can be a go-between between God and another person who's struggling for example, it says in the New Testament that uh, pray for one another that you may be healed. And so one person's prayers can assist another person in receiving whatever they have need of from God. And I know this and I tried this. I remember the first time I was praying for my mother. This was many years ago. She was hurt ice skating and she fell and on the ice and landed really heavy. And I remember at the time, um, it she landed on her back and her head hit the ice. And my dad and I ran out to help her to lift her up. And she had a concussion. And then after that, there were some, some problems, not major, but there was just whenever the weather was damp, she would get a lot of pain back there. And I remember hearing a testimony along that lines that somebody um, had a person in their family and they stood in as a proxy for them. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. In other words, you take the place of somebody else. Somebody prays for you and you do the believing, but the other person does the receiving. That's what I mean by proxy. So this man stood for somebody else. Somebody laid hands on him and that other person got the healing. So I went up to the pastor in the church and I said, I'm standing in for my mom. And in my mind at the time, I pretended that I was her And that I was receiving for her. And then they were, my parents were actually away at the time. And the next day it was very damp, very cold. I think they were away for about a week. And I remember calling them up. And I was so bold. I said, Did you notice that your neck and back haven't been hurting the last few days? Have you noticed it? And there was silence for a minute. And she said, Yeah now that you say it, I haven't had any. And then I explained to her what I did. And the more I talked about it, I could tell the more doubt came in. I should have kept my mouth shut, actually. But I've done that for people sometimes. I prayed and I received for them. Now, I've heard people say that you can't do that. And let me just be, let me just be honest with you. Um, I don't know how all of these laws work. And anybody that tells you they do, they know how all this works. They're not telling you the truth. Does anything work 100% of the time in this world? Well, obviously, we don't see something working all the time because we didn't see God's healing power work in Jesus's hometown, even though he was just as much the son of God as he was in any other town because of their unbelief. But now I I don't know for a fact. It says he he did heal people there. He just didn't do any mighty work. So we don't know what a mighty work is. I, I would imagine a mighty work would be somebody raised from the dead. But if the Bible says, pray for one another that we may be healed, then, and, you know, if there's any sick among you, the inference there is so sick that you can't pray for yourself. In the book of James, let him call on the elders of the church, and the elders of the church will come anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and if he's committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Most people teach today that, or many people, I should say, I don't know, most. Most people probably say God can heal if he wants to. And we go by sight to determine whether he wants to or not. And faith takes a back seat. But most people say today, oh, you got to put away all the sin and then God will heal you. But that's just the opposite of what Jesus, Jesus healed people first and then said, go your way and sin no more. He didn't require them to stop anything at first. Do you know why? Because the righteousness of faith doesn't say, do all these things and then you receive righteousness. The righteousness of faith, according to Romans 10, is in your mouth and in your heart. It's totally in a finished work that somebody else did on your behalf. You follow me. Okay, so let's go on a little bit further. So the the question is here, are you praying, trying to use your own righteousness to move God, to move the hand of God? And you have to realize that you don't have to move the hand of God, and you couldn't even even if you wanted to. God either wants to do something or he doesn't, and we need to align our will with his will. That's what it means praying according to the will of God. Jesus was the will of God in action. He healed everybody that came to him. He delivered everybody that came to him. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. And so that's the mindset that we need. Every person is of great value. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Some people say, well, you know, maybe God's just judging that person. Maybe what you're seeing is a manifestation of sowing and reaping. But that does not do away with the scripture that says mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, certain sins lead unto death. You know, you just do something stupid for long enough, and finally, it costs that person their life. So, either way, we're not here forever, but I look at it this way. I want to exit a full age, having done what God's will and purpose was for my life, and on a positive note. I want to be here one moment, gone the next. Um, all right, we don't want to go <laughs> too far down that line. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 3, it says it like this, going along, keeping with that same thought from Romans chapter 10, it says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The works were finished. According to Hebrews 4, 2, it says, For unto us the gospel was preached as well as unto them but the word preached did not profit them. In other words, they didn't get a return on it, on the good news, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Why didn't it profit them? Because they didn't mix it with faith. If you believe in Jesus, you have faith. That same faith that believes that Jesus forgives, believes that Jesus heals, believes that Jesus delivers, believes that Jesus sets you in the high place and not relegates you down to the low place. Hebrews 4.1 says that, therefore, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. So I can name any particular situation and you can, I can ask you, do you have rest about that? I have some situations coming up and I've been struggling with them in my, with my natural senses because I know these can turn to the worse. And if it does turn to the worse outwardly, then there's a domino effect connected to the outcome of this. I'll keep you all updated. And so I don't have, I know God's will for me is good and God's will for my family is good. And so I hang on to that. And, but yet I don't know if a certain action is going to trigger a certain reaction and all of these other things are going to start to to happen. I don't know that. And so when I go to sleep at night, sometimes I have these thoughts that are in my head and I can pray and I, I can sense that in the flesh, in my natural human personality, I can sense myself trying to pray the power down, right? But yet the Bible says, don't say in your heart who shall ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from above. So I know I can't by effort, bring the power down from above. But I can pray. I can believe in the heart and I can say with the mouth and I can experience salvation, so to speak, in this temporal situation that I'm currently in. I'll go over all the details with everybody after the fact. But for now, this is what I'm saying. Just giving you this so you can relate to it because we all go through things. Being a person of faith doesn't mean you don't have any problems being a person of faith means you come through them stronger on the other side and in one piece, no pieces on the ground, no pieces lost or or whatever. And so, you know, I I tell people to use Jesus as your model. And to whatever you see him doing, that's what you do. So if there's a promise for us of being entered into the rest of faith, right? Because when you believe you have rest in your heart, then you have to assume that that promise was also available to Jesus the man when he walked the earth. And you can see it in play here in the fifth chapter, same book, book of Hebrews, chapter five, verse number seven. And, excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. Now this is talking about comparing Jesus and Melchizedek because they were very much the same. If you don't know who Melchizedek is, He was a person whose lineage nobody could find, but he was a priest similar to what Jesus is in the New Testament before uh, Jesus came. So it says here that, talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, Hebrews 5, 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned uh, obedience by the things which he suffered. So Jesus learned obedience to the word in right in the furnace, like all of us learn today. When our faith is being tested by fire, <clears throat> Jesus said that Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears to him that was able to save him. Where do we actually see that in demonstration? We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see the struggle Jesus went through. And so, but we see the struggle in the light of seeing the whole story. We don't realize that on the other side of that struggle, he only saw what was probably just around the corner by faith. He knew he was he was going to be separated from God. He cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If he knew why, why would he have asked? Right? So we just assume that Jesus knew every little fine point, but that's not, I don't believe that's true because Jesus walked by faith as an example to all of those who would be in the kingdom of God who would follow him. Jesus suffered as an example, um, the contradiction, the Bible says, of sinners against himself. So he prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Not Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Because there was nothing in in black and white, probably, in the Old Testament that he could go back to and say, oh, this is how it's going to come. He just knew he had to die and sacrifice himself. Um, and the Bible says, for a moment, God turned his face from him when he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So there was a transference. He took our sin. He took the sins of people who weren't even born yet, who hadn't even committed the sin yet. He took it all upon himself. So, I mean, even the imagination probably can't come close to what it was like or or what it felt like. But the point is, you can see he was a man because he had the emotion. He cried with strong tears. And so this goes back to the fact, like I said many times before, is that God sees your heart. So, if you're in the situation and you feel like your prayers aren't going towards uh, much further than the ceiling, then make an the adjustment on the inside and really begin to talk to God from your heart. You know, I, I teach people to make a, a, a speak words of life, words of faith. And I teach about doing it over and over and over again because it blasts away when you stay with something, right? The Bible says men ought always pray and not faint and give up. Bible says death and life is in the power of the tongue. Jesus said that if you use my name, I would do it, John 14, 14, all the scriptures that I talked about in past podcasts. But there's issues that affect us as individual personalities, and sometimes those issues get in the way of us being able to be doers of the word, and we become just hearers who are carrying around emotional baggage, and that emotional baggage is usually tied to some kind of fear. We're afraid of what's going to happen next. Peter saw the wind and the waves, and he became fearful, and it says he began to sink. We do the same thing. We're human beings. And so sometimes you just have to take the time. If you're praying, if you're doing it as you've always done it before, and the negative tide just seems to be getting higher, and the water is not only at your neck, but now at your chin and beginning to reach the bottom part of your lip, and it feels like you're you're sinking, then do yourself the favor throw everything out as far as the knowledge that you've learned and open your heart to God and sincerely ask for help. Because only God can tweak you what you need on the inside. It's the grace of God. By grace, you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. If the word there translated saved also means healed, delivered, and every other type of, of, of rescue situation you can imagine, both here and on the other side. If that's the truth, which you believe it is, by grace you're saved. That means it's not of yourselves. Don't say in your heart, how do we pull it down from above? or How do we bring it up from beneath? Don't say those things. Pray so that you can enter into the rest of God. Because it's not being in rest, that's the thing that's tormenting you as you go throughout your day. It's those images that flicker across your mind negative feelings that agree with those images. And before you know it, discouragement can set in because the Bible says that hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when a desire comes, it is a tree of life. So if you're feeling sick in your heart, it's because your hope is being deferred. If your hope is being deferred, it's because some type of fear, some type of negativity has attached itself and it's an evil imagination. It exalts itself, like it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, against the knowledge of God. Those things have to be cast down. Sometimes you can do it just by, by quoting a scripture or by using the name of Jesus, but other times you don't even have the strength to do that from a position of believing. You are just been beaten down a little bit too much, and in those times you can cry out like Peter did when he was sinking, and Jesus will come and save you and bring you to a place where you're back on a firm foundation again, and you can continue believing. The Bible says they overcame him in Revelation 12:11. Let me just close with this. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. You know, it's easy to have um, some treasures here on earth. The Bible says, let your treasures be in heaven, not on earth, where the thieves break through and steal. And when we value something and and it's threatened in this lifetime, um, you can become anxious because you don't want to lose it. But the attitude that they had in the Book of Revelation was, you know, they didn't—they didn't even care if they lost their lives because they knew they were going to the heavenly world, which Paul said was far better than this world. That's not hard to believe, is it? That heaven would be better than earth. And so I want you to realize, and especially if you're younger, that whatever temporary loss you may suffer that can be restored a hundredfold. I mean, look what happened to Job. He had twice as much as before. And what you're going through is a temporary situation. And so make it your life's purpose to live the type of life um, that pleases God. One little uh, side note before I close again. um, I wasn't going to go down this way, but I I just feel in my heart to, to put it out there. Is living right important? If everything's by grace and that's not of ourselves. Well, let me put it when you put it, when you live right, there's something in your heart that feels good. And that feels good is because you know you're doing God's will and you know that God smiles because you're making good choices for your life. When condemnation rises up in your heart, God's greater than your heart, He knows everything the Bible says but yet yeah, we, we condemn ourselves. We look at our lives and we see where we're falling short. And the more we look at our lives, the further it seems that we're falling short. And we live in a perpetual state then, when you examine, the more you look at yourself, of condemnation, of feeling less than. But we're not supposed to look at ourselves. The Bible says, consider Jesus, the high priest of your confession, lest you become weary and faint in your minds. Consider Jesus, You're in Christ. You are forgiven. You have the righteousness of God as a gift. You open that package, and there's no way you could ever repay the Lord for the gift that he's given you, that he's given each of us. And so we do what little we can do, and that little bit is to make the effort to do the right things. Make the effort to love other people. Make the effort to be the light. We don't do, do those things so that we can earn a reward. We do those things to please him. In the end, Paul even made this statement. He says, I don't even judge myself. I can't even judge myself because we rationalize things so much. Uh, we make excuses when there doesn't need to be excuses and so on and so forth. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, and, and again, um, all of these things are free gifts If you look at them as anything other than that, if you look at God's love as being a a merit-based system, then your whole life is going to be filled with anxiety and and burden because you're never going to be able to do enough. And you're never going to be able to do it consistently enough. You following what I'm saying? Okay, that's it for now. God bless you. For more information, please visit the main website at www.faithtestedbyfire.com. Subscribe for the update list. And I will see you the next time. God bless.